when you listen to your users, that in itself becomes an attractive trait. And I think this idea of product-led growth, who I work on really closely with our head of product, her name's Jasmine Shu, stellar at what she does. Having that tight integration between product and marketing makes you a more effective and stronger organization. Welcome to W3G, the official podcast for Myasin XYZ and your go-to hub to learn the latest developments in growth and marketing in the wild and wonderful world of Web3. I'm Julie Octaviano, Head of Accounts and Operations at Myasin XYZ. And I'm Blake Minho Kim, co-founder of Myasin XYZ. Each week, we'll talk to leaders in the Web3 space about the state of the industry, what they're building, some interesting growth hacks, and best practices around all things Web3 marketing. W3G is a place to learn and get smarter in public, not only for those of us already in the space, but for the Web2 brands that are curious on how to transition over. We're all building together in this crazy space. So tune in each week as we talk to the best and brightest and keep uncovering insights so we can all grow together in the world of Web3. Today, we'll be speaking with Blake Menezes, VP of Marketing at Bitski, a leading wallet aimed at making Web3 accessible for consumers and brands alike. Blake is a friend and fellow member of BlakeDAO, and we had an awesome chat about all things wallets, from Bitski and Myson's framework on growth, to hot takes on why the wallet wars are a misnomer, and if wallets really are the new cookies or not. If you're interested in wallets, this is a great listen. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here's episode number 14 with Blake Menezes. All right, all right. Uh, thanks for joining us on the pod, Blake. Always love chatting with another Blake. Still waiting to get Blake up and running. Uh, how are things? Things are good. Uh, I am also waiting for Blake to. I feel like the Telegram group's there. We need a token. We need a, like an NFT of some sort. We got to get on it sooner rather than later. <laughs> yeah, let's let's get it moving. Let's get it moving. We'll, we'll throw some people on. It'll be a fun time. But listen, great to have you on. Uh, really excited to chat for our listeners' context. You know, Blake and I have been talking for a long time about how we can collaborate and really excited to kind of dive a bit deeper into Bitski and what you're up to. But just to get things going, right, we always love to start with an origin story. So we'd love to have you kick things off. Tell us about, you know, how'd you first hear about crypto, Web3, blockchain, all this, right? And how'd you get to where you are today? And so we'll start there. Yeah, happy to go into it. And thanks for having me. So I started my career off in marketing well over 10 years ago. And I made the pivot to crypto a few years back. And I I bought my first crypto in something like 2020. Um, A couple of close friends who are in the space, I won't mention their names, but they, they know who they are, are the ones that got me to buy ETH for the first time, buy a little Bitcoin, and kind of slowly dip my toes in. Even though they'd been talking about it since 2017, I finally you know, went all in in 2020 and started buying. Um, that gave me skin in the game to start learning intentionally in the space. I was added to a group called Club Crypto Package Goods. It's kind of this collective of folks that are in the consumer space, at the intersection of tech and Web3, run by Chris Cantino and Jamie Schmidt. And I was added to this group and immediately started making friends in the space. And again, trying to really intentionally learn as a marketer would in the space to learn about how brands are engaging, how marketers are engaging, how people are doing meaningful things, and then what are the things that don't feel sketchy at all, um, and what are the, the potential rugs, and how do you see those? And I just kept going further and further down the rabbit hole uh, until finally started working in the space. I started up my own consultancy, working with various brands, working with protocols, and uh, long story short, without getting into all the details, I ended up at Bitski as their vice president of marketing and also running their partnerships program as well. Amazing. And uh, I'm excited to dive into Bitski. But actually, real quick, before we do that, we'd love to have you tell the folks a quick like, side tangent about the Olive Gardens, the non-fungible Olive Gardens. Do you want to Relay oh, that story and, and preserve it on the internet forever. I think it'll be Blake, pretty fun. There's nothing more than I would enjoy <laughs> to just do a podcast about non-fungible Olive Garden. Yeah. So for those of you that are not familiar, uh, which if you're not, now you have a reason to, to go digging on the internet for non-fungible Olive Garden. During the bull market in 2021, I want to say it was, yeah, I want to say it was around 2021, someone, some internet jokesters, whoever they may be, I still don't actually know, created non-fungible Olive Garden. So what they did was is they scraped all the storefront images off of Google Maps of every Olive Garden in the continental United States and created these non-fungible Olive Gardens that you could mint on their site. And part of it gave you virtual ownership of a non-fungible Olive Garden, right? And they had however many you know inventory available because there's only so many Olive Gardens. 
and they sold them for the low price of $19.99 US, uh, which is the same cost as a trio of pasta plate. I don't just have that off the top of my head, Blake. I actually like that's that's part of the thing on their website. You can go find it if you Google non-fungible Olive Garden. And it was an amazing thing. If you were part of it, it was this massive meta. We were online on Twitter spaces on a Sunday night. There was like a big Twitter space with a bunch of folks from crypto Twitter, myself included, talking about this, talking about how funny it would be if like a Circuit City non-fungible Olive Garden came about, like a Circuit City kind of playoff. Applebee's, you know, Waffle House. Actually, that did start, by the way. And it was just amazing. And all of a sudden, Darden Restaurants, the parent brand of Olive Garden, issued a takedown notice a couple days later. And the team at Non-Fungible Olive Garden published this. And it was the first time that a takedown notice for an NFT had actually come out. And they they published this takedown notice on Twitter, but they also minted it as a one-of-one on OpenSea that you could purchase. And they minted their response as well, which was basically like, listen, we would work with your team. We'd be happy to, but we're sad to get this. And the best part of this is that I happen to have my notifications on for non-fungible Olive Garden on Twitter. So I was able to mint the one-of-one takedown notice, the first takedown notice that a brand has ever received from an NFT, um, that one of one. And guess how much it was? It was only $19.99, which is the trio of pasta plate at Olive Garden. And so to this day, I still own that. It is tucked away in my cold wallet. I will never tell anyone where that is. It's it's actually like the most valuable NFT just because it holds a archival part of the internet presence for me. So anyways, that's piece of history. That's my tangent about non-fungible Olive Garden. And for those those of you listening, you know that I'm jazzed about this because it's just a hilarious, uh, hilarious thing. So, how can people? I think I guess if you just Google non-fungible, because I think their website's still on, right? Correct. Yeah, the website's still up. You can still find it. Um, and you know, just as an aside, I think for those of you watching this that are not in Web three and crypto. Uh, This was a big pivotal moment in the space because it is a new category being created, a brand responding in a way that arguably is not the way they should have responded. They could have leaned into it and built ambassadors out of it. Um, And it also was creating kind of a fun play off of this idea of digital ownership. And again, it was an opportunity for a brand to really play in a fun way. And they they didn't, you know, hindsight's 20-20. But I think it was one of the first ways that we saw someone starting to play off of brands in crypto. And I just thought it was a really cool moment. So definitely Incredible. encourage folks to check Yeah, totally agree. I mean, that it's like, as you said, like you own like a piece of crypto brand history right there. And it's obviously, I think you, you were super early because obviously now, obviously, I think brands are all kind of leaning into this thing. So good on you. Good on you. Um, all right, so we now have that uh, kind of documented, so the whole world uh, will know and, and hear about non-fungible Olive Garden. Uh, but let's let's go back into uh, into the original purpose, I guess, which is uh, talking about Bitsky wallets growth, right? So let, let's get it started simple, right? So how would you describe Bitsky? Um, and actually, and and this can get as spicy as you want, um, but like, how would you say it really differentiates from all other wallet providers, other wallets out there? What what really makes it unique and special? Yeah, of course. Um, so the quick background on Bitsky. Uh, Bitsky's been around since 2018 as a company. Um, you can check us out, Google kind of our background. Um, our lead investors are A16Z, Andreessen Horowitz, and Kindred Ventures. Um, and they really founded the company based on this idea behind uh, building this, this commerce layer of Web3, but also making it really accessible to just everyone. And so Bitsky's worked with plenty of brands in the space, everyone from like Levi's to Red Bull to Adidas to a whole mix of other things, uh, even being a part of Louis Vuitton's um, Startup Accelerator program. And now Bitsky, as we double down in the space that we're in, in the market that we're in, um, Bitsky is, is really laser focused on being the best wallet provider out there for all things collectibles and NFTs in the space. And if you use Bitsky, and if you, you know, those of you that are listening right now, uh, if you download it, you'll quickly see the difference. Um, the usability is, is rather easy to use. The user experience is quite nice. Bitsky kind of brings the accessibility of a hot wallet, but then folds it in with the security of a cold wallet. Um, so if you get on there and use it, dabble with it, you'll see that pretty quickly. If you're comparing Bitsky to like a MetaMask, for example, um, you'll definitely be able to see just how nice it is to view your NFTs and browse 
decentralized applications or dApps um, with a Bitsky wallet versus using something like a MetaMask um, and viewing your, your history, your activity. I feel like when I'm using Etherscan and MetaMask, it feels like I need a decoder ring from a serial box to be able to make sense of it. And Bitsky's activity feed is really easy to make sense of this. So I don't know if it's anything too spicy, but I think that's how we differentiate. When you're thinking about the wallet space, I would argue that Bitsky's iOS wallets you can download on your iPhone uh, is arguably one of the best wallets for collectibles and NFTs that are out there. I love that. Yeah, and I would second that. And uh, this is this is a very objective take, which is I think I've played around with a lot of different wallets. Obviously, we've all played around with MetaMask. There are a couple others out there, but I, I, I agree. I think Bitsky, what you guys are doing in terms of the UX and usability are top-notch, which you would think is really obvious, but I, I think that this maybe has to do with like the Web3, Web2 divide right now is I think some people are they're, they're not necessarily thinking about the mainstream yet. So it's good. It's good. Cool. So now that we you know have better understanding of Bitsky, right, we'd love to get a better understanding of you know, as as head of growth for Bitsky, right? Like, what has the growth journey been like? Could you kind of dive a bit deeper there in terms of, you know, what have you found to work? What what have been the interesting campaigns you guys have run, highlights? Then also, like, I guess, like things that didn't quite work, right? But we, we can just keep jamming on that all day, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. So without giving away every single detail, juicy detail, um, I think one governing principle uh, that we have with marketing at Bitsky, and I think it's really important for any industry or, or product, but we don't always see it, is that you never want to be the person with the trench coat selling watches out of it when you're doing any kind of marketing or growth or go-to-market of any kind. And so I think that's always a core ethos of what we're doing at Bitski, where we always try to be very genuine, very sincere, and transparent in our communication to users and how we just market. I think from a growth perspective, there's been a few interesting things that we've done. Um, one is we've really leaned into product marketing-related content and product marketing-related videos um, and just imagery. Uh, there's a great person on our team. His name's Alec. Uh, big shout-out to him, who manages kind of our whole video and design process that gets out externally, working with one of our internal designers, Armand, also super killer at what he does. And I think that's one of the ways that we actually have just differentiated and going to market. We have short videos that kind of surprise and delight and featuring what are the key benefits, what are the key features, everything from showing you the side-by-side of the MetaMask activity feed versus the Bitsky activity feed to doing things like showing you how slick it is to mint an NFT. If you go to Zora, um, it's absolutely a beautiful experience when you go to Zora and mint an NFT from Bitsky showing off that simulated transaction so that it's really clear for you, is this a malicious, a dodgy, a sketchy site? So I think one is really clear, transparent communications, like product marketing videos, that sort of thing. Um, I think the other piece is listening to your community. We have a really active beta community. Um, That beta community is getting a version on our test flight that basically is the uh, kind of everything. It's the fire hose of testing and new features from our engineers who are stellar and our product designers um, and our product team. We listen to them and we incorporate that feedback very quickly. You know, I think there's lots of examples of this uh, where a user has said, hey, could you do this instead? And within three days, it's in production and it's already on the app store. Um, We just include it in the next release. So we try to be very fast in our response. And we ensure that the marketing efforts are also built into that. So I think there's a lot of product-led growth that happens from that because it just, when you listen to your users, that in itself becomes an attractive trait. And I think this idea of product-led growth, who I work on really closely with our head of product, her name's Jasmine Shu, stellar at what she does. Having that tight integration between product and marketing makes you a more effective and stronger organization. So I would say content, I think product-led growth um, while listening to your community. And then I think also just a, a, you know, a willingness to test and experiment. We have done a few things recently where we did an open edition with Moonbirds. So it's their very first open edition that Proof and Moonbirds has ever done. And you were able to mint it exclusively in the Bitsky wallet. We saw exponential growth of the wallet during that time frame because folks were jazzed about Moonbirds and Proof. And what was most exciting for us was seeing that they were inside of our wallet and they went and did other things. Um, 
They were consuming other types of content. We have a discovery feed inside of the wallet. And so users were able to go in and learn about other mints, other things that they could do, that sort of thing. And then also experimenting with other platforms. So Reddit has been a big place for this as well. Every marketer and their mother in Web3 loves to talk about Reddit, right? Loves to talk about how they've abstracted away the challenging parts and they've done it in a very artful, tactful way. And I would agree. Reddit's team is amazing. One thing we realized, though, is that you can actually snag your Reddit vault uh, recovery phrase, the you know keys, the ability for you to pull your wallet out. You can grab that on the Reddit app, actually. You can go on your iPhone and grab that pretty quickly. We did a campaign where we told users, look, you bring your Reddit vault imported into Bitsky because it is very easy to pull in multiple wallets into Bitsky, so you can kind of like toggle between your hot and your cold wallets. We did a campaign where you could pull things in and uh, pull in that that wallet, pull in that Reddit vault. And so for every person that did, you were able to get a free Reddit avatar. And we ran that for a few weeks. And it was just, again, one of these kind of creative, fun ways that we saw new people coming in. So I think, you know, experiment, try new platforms, lean into existing communities and try to reach them in a way that no one's tried reaching them yet, which I would argue no one's really tried doing what I just described. So those are probably, you know, some of those, those key areas. It's an interesting question about what hasn't worked. I don't know if anything in particular comes to mind also that I want to share immediately. What were you going to say though? Sorry. Wait, sorry, real quick. I actually just, uh, I, I am still going to press you for some things that didn't work. Uh, yes. I, I want to hear both sides, but I do just hearing all that. Number one is like really refreshing. Cause I think, you know, I, I get this question all the time for, for mindset, right? Like I was later on a panel today and I think they're asking, like, what's the difference between Web3 and Web2 marketing? And I, I tell them all the time, right? Like, I think in Web3, it's uh, because of the nascent state of the industry, right? Like, paid ads and that paid marketing funnel that we know in, in Web2 just doesn't work in the same way, obviously. And it's interesting because I always tell people, it's like content, community, partnerships. And everything you just told me fits within those three buckets, right? Because when you're talking about content, right? Product, marketing, content. I have seen those videos and I freaking love them because I think the... Uh, for those listening, I don't know if you guys remember, but I remember it was like, I think it was a couple a month or a couple of months ago when like MetaMask, like just opening MetaMask took like 20, 30 seconds, right? And I think you guys put out that side-by-side video of MetaMask loading and Bitsky wallet and like, boom, like show, don't tell. And so that was like tip of the hat to you guys. So that's the content side. And then the community side, I think that that's like a good principle for anyone, right? Like just getting, staying close to your community, working really closely with them and actually just listening. So, and it's really interesting to hear from a wallet company. Cause I will say like, there's a different wallet, uh, which I, I use pretty extensively. I, I won't name names here, but they have some, they have some product features where I'm like, listen, man, I just want to hide this NFT and, and I don't even know who to talk to. I don't know how to reach out to them. So I think like community side is great. And then like you're talking about experimentation and partnerships is, is really powerful too. And so, uh, also love what you guys did. Moonbirds also minted that. So, so big fan on all fronts. And it's just nice to hear that, like, um, something we talk about all the time, like you guys are doing it well and, and it's clearly working. So kudos, I guess. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. And I, I think any marketer in the space is experimenting all the time. And it, I think any marketer should take their existing baselines of their previous gigs that they've had, whether in crypto or otherwise, and be ready to adjust those, be ready to establish a new hypothesis and see if it fits. And I like that framework that you've kind of got around community content. And then what was the final piece? Partnerships. Partnerships. Yeah. Yeah. Because all these communities, yeah. there's we're just cross-pollinating right now because it's such a small industry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. I think that's good. Um, and I think there's a whole separate tangent we could probably go on around uh, first-party data as marketers in the space. And when you do have first-party data... It's kind of the Uncle Ben and Spider-Man moment with great power comes great responsibility, where I think as marketers in this space, more than any other industry I've ever worked in or observed, uh, we have a responsibility to be really uh, respectful of that data that has been given to us, which sometimes it's very basic data. It might just be a Discord handle or an email, but how can you be respectful of that and really effectively communicate to them so that it doesn't feel like that trench coat with the watches inside of it, right? And so I think that's that's a really important thing. But yeah. I would actually like to double click on that, you know, and just like get your take. Like what kind of first party data do you guys collect? How do you handle that? How do you manage it? Would love to just kind of hear the Bitsky take on a uh, first party data. And, and also, I guess, is it any different, I guess, from how a, a different your typical other wallet provider might be handling it. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I can, yeah, of course. And all of the things I'll share are public. You can check out our terms of service and everything else. Um, and I can't speak to other wallet providers necessarily and how they're managing their data. Um, but Bitsky doesn't collect a lot of data, actually. We don't add a lot of third-party trackers. There's no cookie banner that you see popping up. And that's intentional because it's core to the ethos of what we're doing in Web3 to not be someone who's going to you know, throw a bunch of trackers on every single person that comes in. You have to be impactful with, I really like the framework, that, again, that you have of the community content and partnerships. I guess serendipitously, we've been following that Myosin framework. And I think it's that content that needs to be impactful so that people actually care to read it, watch it, listen to it, whatever it might be. Um, in terms of first party data, really the only thing we have is your email, essentially. Um, that's There's not too much PII, personal identifiable information that we're collecting. We are fully GDPR compliant. Um, so if you check out our privacy policy, um, we are very, very much friendly to all the, the things under GDPR. Um, and we're also SOC 2 Type 1 compliant, which is um, essentially an additional type of certification that essentially adds a, a certain layer of gravitas to the types of security and um, trust that you can, you can have in Bitsky um, as a wallet provider. So even though there's not much PII, we still want to ensure that we're, we're adhering to both what is standard in crypto, so by not throwing much cookies on you, but also what is standard at a typical large B2B company, which is my background. Um, I think it's important to, to have that. And in terms of how we communicate, it's pretty simple. Uh, email is one of the main channels that we communicate to our users. And they get emails when it is appropriate and when it's something that is relevant to them about their journey into crypto and Web3. Uh, if it's something for them, like giving away something, uh, or it's our newsletter. We have a new newsletter we've been putting out uh, that's doing just absolutely amazingly well from an open rate perspective. And folks love it. It's basically like the Axios style consumption of news of here's what you need to know. Here's why it's important to you. And this is why it matters. Uh, and it's something that I think is so important. And some folks on my team have been working on that and just doing a killer job with it. I love that. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, uh, I think two things, right? Like just having that compliance, I think as from a consumer point of view, we, we think about it a lot less, but, um, as you and I have talked about Blake, right? Like on the enterprise corporate level, you know, when we're starting to onboard these brands into web three, it is really important, right? Cause if you aren't compliant, then, you know, the company could get sued very quickly for violating privacy laws. And I think that's a very, underappreciated element of Web3 right now is, you know, we want everything to be public, everything's on chain, but should everything be on chain? Should everything be, you know, out and out there? So something to think about. Yeah, totally agree. And, you know, we didn't get into it as much, but Bitsky has a whole offering, uh, our wallet as a service offering, uh, which appeals to businesses and enterprise, right? So for brands, for games, et cetera, basically bringing in these blockchain elements into what you're doing in these games, uh, your technology platforms, et cetera, uh, in a really seamless way. And I think those brands that are sometimes publicly traded companies, they're, they're multinationals, they have high standards of security, of IT uh, rigor, uh, and the, some of these things that are just so crucial to be successful in the industry. So. So actually building on that, so that's definitely something I want to like double click on it and, and, you know, drill down deep into, but kind of before we go too deep down that rabbit hole, I want to kind of like get some bigger perspective here. Cause I think, and again, this is not you speaking for all the bits gear, all the wallets out there. Right. But I think because you work pretty intimately in the space, we'll love to get your perspective because you know, uh, um, one of our previous guests, Justin from Safari, who I know you from obviously and, and others. When he was on the pod, we did talk about the wallet wars a little bit, right? And, you know, there's all this kind of everyone is competing for market share and, and, you know, it is going to be a growing market. So it's not like we can't all win, but we'd love to just get your take on your hot take on, on the wallet wars, right? Like who are the big competitors we see? Do we think, uh, obviously wallet as a service is going to be a pretty big, in my opinion, you know, part of how wallets and, and web three gets more adoption, but I mean, it's a pretty broad question, right? Is, you know, it's like, who's doing interesting things, product features, you know, is wallet service going to be the thing that like blows up and, and creates the next big wallet? Or is it going to be the more consumer facing side of things? Right. Cause, and, and there's a lot of different elements. So it's a pretty big thing to unpack, but 
you know, we just love to, to start there. Yeah. I mean, I think first of all, the phrase, uh, the terminology wallet wars, which I keep seeing all over the place cracks me up because I don't know if I see it as wallet wars. I think, I think what I see is uh, a lot of wallets that are providing different experiences for different types of users. And I think like a typical product marketer or marketer in general would break it out into those personas where I have wallets on my phone that I use for certain activities. And then I have wallets on my phone I don't use for other activities. And so I think it depends on who your, your persona is, who your kind of key user is. And I also think different wallets have uh, different features that different wallets kind of do better. Some are better at education. Some have better social aspects. Some have better for collectibles and NFTs, for example. Um, I think it really just runs the gamut. So my general take on the wallet wars is I don't know if it's necessarily a war so much as it is. It feels like we're all unified against one thing. And that one thing is that there is a better world out there than using MetaMask. And that might be an unpopular opinion, potentially. But I think I don't think one, so. I don't think I so. Think mini, <laughs> yeah, I think mini wallets, if you look at what they're doing, and I won't speak for them, but I feel like if we all got in a room, which we haven't, and I would actually love that. So if any other wallet marketers are, are out there listening to this, send me a DM. Wallet consortium. Yeah. Wallet consortium. <laughs> uh, I think we probably would all agree the ethos of like, there is a better world than MetaMask. And, um, and I love my other wallets that I use. Like Coinbase wallet is a splendid experience. Like love Coinbase wallet. You know, I like Rainbow for different activities. I use Phantom for different things. Like I have lots of different wallets I use for different things. I use Bitsky for most of them as like kind of my home because I can pull in all my addresses and my seed phrases. So it's really easy to watch or actually transact with them. But yeah, I mean, I think every wallet has a different use case. I think to your second point around wallet as a service and the idea that there are certain providers out there that are offering enterprise services for brands, for games, for loyalty programs, to be able to really abstract away the challenging parts. I mean, Dot Swoosh today has a really cool drop they're doing. Um, Starbucks Odyssey is doing amazing things. Mercedes just announced they're doing something. I think this idea behind making it easy to engage with the blockchain is so, so important. And I think what Coinbase has done, I'll give them a shout out, uh, in really coining the term wallet as a service is arguably what Salesforce did for software as a service. There's a lot of parallels, I would say, between both of those, those moments in time. And so I think Coinbase coining the term wallet as a service is a great moment in time for the industry because it makes it even easier for folks to understand what they're doing as they're using these kind of enterprise technologies and tools of uh, wallet technology, like typically APIs. So Bitsky's wallet as, a, as a wallet as a service is a series of APIs you can pull in. It's very easy, but it makes it easier for people to understand and, and wrap their arms around it um, and, and kind of get into it a bit more. So again, I actually don't think there's a war. I think it's a concerted effort to say there's a better way to do this. I think most way I'm seeing is most, well, most wallets are pretty collaborative with each other because we are uh, in a space that's in a bear market. And I think it's really important that we work together as an industry, both Web3 infrastructure providers, wallet companies, and others to help lift all the lift all the boats, like the tide that lifts all the boats. I think that's really, really important to do right now. And so again, yeah, I just don't know if I'd call it a war. And, you know, I'd be curious to hear what others take on this is. I've, I've been in a few conversations with a few other wallets on Twitter spaces, and it seems like we're all kind of in agreement on this, at least seemingly so. If we get into the nitty gritty, sure, feature sets are different with different providers. But I, I think giving choice to users is not a bad thing. In fact, that's probably a Web3 ethos, like giving them the chance to toggle between their different options that they like. So... That's yeah. my that's my general take. I guess the only thing I would add is that I think wallets are going to be like credit cards where there will probably be like three or four, you know, that people use. Um, I don't think there's going to be too many more than that. If there is and you have more than three to four credit cards you're using regularly, you should talk to someone, maybe, you know, reach out to me, maybe Blake. Uh, Blake Dow can help. But I think wallets are going to be a lot like credit cards in that way, where there will be a couple that you use um, for different reasons, different purposes. I love that. I love that. And that's a, that's a great, I think, um, I don't know if, 
I guess it's it, I guess it's a contrarian take. I don't know. Yeah, but like the idea of the wall wars not even being a war, right? I, and I I totally agree with that sentiment because I think from the marketing side, right? Like I think when you're thinking about agencies or products or people building, I, th- I think it's the same exact thing, which is like we all recognize we're all building different parts of the stack and heard, right? It is a bear market. I think there's a lot of people who may not make it to the other side uh, whenever the next mainstream adoption moment is. So the only thing we can do is really all work together to kind of increase adoption. And I don't know, I think we would agree like net new wallets is probably the the main KP. Net new wallets and maybe retention of said wallets, right? Like not just creation, but onboarding and and getting people to use and stay within that ecosystem is kind of the thing we're all aiming towards. So the pie is and big enough. We, yeah. Well, and, and should we even be using the term wallet in that situation either? So we don't even know if, you know, it might be accounts. And in reality, there are wallets on the back end of what's happening there. But for the users, they might just say, yeah, there's like, do you have your Blake Dow account? Like, and it might be a wallet. By the way, I'm trying to make this conversation about Blake Dow as much as humanly possible. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, just Blake Dow. But I, I feel like, you know, there's, uh, I think the terminology behind it will change too. So that indicator that you just mentioned coming out the other side, that in itself will shift quite a bit. And I just think it's it's a very interesting time. And I, I do agree with the sentiment that in a bear market, builders will prevail. It's the people who are probably being the most quiet about what they're working on are the ones doing really cool and compelling stuff. And so I think it's a it's an interesting time as a space to be learning from others, going to events, whether in person or virtual, and collaborating, finding ways to partner, finding ways to work together. And I think if you look at what Bitsky has done recently, I would argue we're taking that approach um, between what we've done with everyone from Polygon to Ledger to Moonbirds to POAP coming up actually quite soon, and a few others. So. All right, cool, cool. I love that. Um, all right, so moving onwards, uh, I think there's a lot of stuff to cover, so try and be mindful of time here, um, but really enjoying the conversation. What I would love to talk about is, and all again, we can zig and zag however we want, but I think there is this, um, we've talked all about wallets, different wallets, how we think about wallets of service, how we think about the term wallet. What now I would love to dig into is I feel like and maybe it's just because I'm so deep in this like marketing rabbit hole, but I think what we're starting to hear nowadays is a bit more like wallets are the new cookies, right? And there is this question of like, I, I kind of go both ways on it, which is I hear the argument of yes, like wallets, you can look at any public address or, you know, and actually see all their transaction history and all that. The reason I have kind of some hesitation there is. I don't, and speaking of the data privacy element, right? I do believe we're moving towards a world where maybe not everything's going to be on chain, where not everything should be public, right? If we really believe in moving towards a more, you know, Web3 native world, if we want to start putting our financial history, or, or, or I guess it's weird to me that anyone can look at my, I mean, anyone can go look it up right now. Like my ENS is eruditemonkey.eth. If you look up that address, you can see everything I've done on that wallet which is why I have about 10 other wallets, right? And so, but should it be that way? And then I guess then there's like ZKs now starting to come out, right? And ZK native blockchains and and people are going to start creating that privacy. So how do you think about, I guess, this idea of wallets of, uh, as the new cookie? Um, do you agree? Do you disagree? Do you think it's somewhere between? Um, yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, so, you know, you know my background. So I, um, I, I've come from the digital marketing space. I ran growth at a robotics and hardware um, software startup for a bit. Um, and before that was running global social at a company called Autodesk for a bit. And I feel like calling wallets the new cookies, and this is just my personal opinion, not the Bitsky one, is one that I don't know if I would totally agree because I feel like cookies as a principle are these you know lines of code this bit of script that attaches itself to a user whether it's anonymized or hashed in some kind of way and then it follows them for a set period of time typically no more than like 90 to 180 days max and even then that's pretty long for a cookie to be using data for retargeting and other things and then it kind of disappears into the ether it typically becomes lapsed or churned because it's just that's old data literally I don't know if I would call wallets the new cookies in any kind of way. 
I think there are very interesting companies that have emerged in the space that are doing things to make sense of on-chain data and then taking other publicly available data to kind of make sense of what's out there. I would give a shout out to Mnemonic is one. Mnemonic is doing some really cool stuff in terms of how to bring together on-chain data, make sense of it in different ways, um, be able to uh, articulate what are in particular certain trends, start to make sense of the fact that there are certain wallets doing similar behaviors or trading with themselves. I think Mnemonic has done some really cool stuff in this. So again, I don't know if it's the role of the wallet in this at all. I think wallets, by and large, should try to be agnostic and neutral in this. And then I think there's companies like Spindle, uh, Spindle.xyz, super, super cool company. Like, give them a big shout out. Uh, Spindle's doing cool stuff with this right now, where they're thinking about how can you make sense of what happens to uh, a user, to a wallet, like a unique wallet, that goes and gets potentially a token airdrop or gets an NFT. And then what's the attribution or like the customer journey from that after they've done this? Uh, Spindle did a really good case study on Blur's token airdrop. And they basically used their own technology to go deep on the Blur token airdrop and make sense of what's the customer journey of those users. And it was really, really insightful. And I think those are the kinds of things where you're still only leveraging on-chain data but there's other companies out there that are helping you connect the disparate dots because I think you and I, as marketers, our time is not best spent in Etherscan. Our time is best best spent working with like these top-notch providers that are trying to think about how can they simplify this data and make sense of it. So that's kind of my general take. Um, I think the idea behind cookies and the idea behind like opting in will continue to shift. And whatever we're talking about today, we can assume the regulatory space will catch up in five to 10 years, just like with GDPR um, and CCPA. Yeah, I think it's an interesting time. But again, I don't think wallets should really have a strong take in this. They should be pretty neutral and agnostic as much as possible when it comes to that. So Yeah, that's great. When I hear that, it's uh, agreed and heard or heard and agreed. I guess in this case, right? It's um, being the neutral providers in between, thinking about attribution analytics, letting the people who know how to parse the data and combine the data do what they do best. Agreed. So actually building on that, right? So I'm just like drilling down in every like nuance of, I'm using you basically as my wallet wiki right now, <laughs> just to bounce ideas off of. What do you think about wallet-to-wallet messaging? Because I think, I forget who I was talking to recently, but I know that's something that's something that people have been playing around with. They've been starting to integrate. I think I heard from, I don't remember who, so I can't even name names if I wanted to, but I think I did hear some alpha that there is a major wallet provider that will start to integrate wallet inboxes, if I'm not mistaken. There are some new standards coming out, I believe, but I mean, that feels like a very missed opportunity, right? Because obviously, I agree, like email will be around for a very long time. It's been around since 1980 something, right? But you know, the fact that in this Web3 world, we know each other by our wallet addresses or our ENSs, right? And we can't communicate one-to-one. We have to go in Telegram, Discord, Twitter, whatever it is, feels a bit strange. Do you have a thought there or a point of view? Yeah. My take on this as a whole is actually less about the tech that's enabling the wallet-to-wallet messaging, because I think there's a lot of cool wallet-to-wallet messaging platforms out there. I've been following XMTP for quite a bit. I feel like what they're starting to do is really interesting. There's a few others out there um, that I would encourage folks to go deep on. I'm more interested in the idea behind what's the identity vector that all of us are using to communicate with each other. So you mentioned earlier that your ENS is like Erudite monkey.eth, right? Which I feel like I need to go add just to see what kind of a degen you are. Um, But I think what's interesting about that is that that's your identity that you decided to call out. But a lot of people wouldn't say that necessarily about themselves. They might say like, they're just going to use their wallet address or for other folks, they'll be like, yeah, you can, you know, DM my Twitter or something. Or for other people, they may just say, here's my unstoppable domains domain. And, you know, I think Coinbase even like has their resolution that you can see that you can send people things to. I think the space of decentralized identity is actually the thing that needs to be solved for. And we need to come to a consensus around what are the top kind of one to three providers that we all agree are the ones we love 
before wallet to wallet messaging can be super effective. Unless there's some way to potentially aggregate all those different identities into one thing so that now you can reach me in one place, but I can add my blakemenezes.eth, my unstoppable domains domain. I can add all these other things. So I think it's that decentralized identity piece is going to be more important to solve for. And I also think when you look at that, there's companies like WorldCoin that are spending a lot of time and a lot of effort talking about this. And I think it's important for us to keep an eye on them. Um, I, I, I know people joke about the orb, but I've had my eye scanned by WorldCoin. I have the you World did it. contest. Uh-huh. I do. Um, and I think it's, you know, I mean, listen, I use clear at the airport. How is it any different than my biometrics being saved somewhere else? Um, but I think that's interesting. I think these are yeah. things that we should be open to experimenting with and exploring. And I think once we solve that problem, the way that we communicate will probably be the easy part. And I'm, I'm confident that providers like XMTP and others will figure that out in a really effective way. I think it's more the identity piece that we need to solve for and probably smarter people than me will, will sort that out. But that actually kind of reminds me of a a conversation I had last week. I was at a broadcast summit just talking about like on-chain media. And I think there was a session on interoperability and like tech infra. And I think the conclusion we came to is like, we just need more, basically what you're saying we need more aggregators api layers kind of like that protocol layer in between or we just need the layers in between like the stripe for decentralized identity identity because i'll be frank i don't know if any of these you know unstoppable domains is cool but i don't know if i would ever go you know set one up myself right now tbd you know don't want to take it off the table but at the same time, like you're saying, I think there are a lot of people who will, who will never create an ENS or they're priced out of it, uh, depending on what you want, right? So it's like, I struggle to see a world in which everyone comes together and like agrees, here are the top three. So it may be kind of like you're saying, the only real path forward to creating that standard is, is pulling, someone's got to just do the dirty work of going out, figuring out what the most commonly used ones are and start to map them together and create that layer on top. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. And I think the Web3 infrastructure layer is going to be so important here. And I get kind of excited about Web3 infra. It's not the sexiest topic for everyone, but I actually think it's amazingly interesting. And if you look at what everyone from like Alchemy to Blowfish to Simple Hash to a bevy of other companies that are out there, what they're doing to help bring these layers in, I think these are going to be the connective tissue between all the different tools and companies And I think it comes back to your question about the wallet wars. I don't think it's a war. I think we need to work together. I think we need to ally ourselves um, together to help drive the space forward because it is early. You know, we're still obviously finding ways that users are using these technologies. So I think we need to continue to build technologies that are flexible and nimble enough to meet those needs. I love it. I love it. And agreed. That's that's all it is. We, We need to work together on this. Because if we don't, maybe the space won't exist. We'll see what happens. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm bullish on Blake Dow. Yeah, I'm still there bullish on Blake so, so It always good. comes down to Blake Dow. That's all it is. <laughs> all right, so I do want to be mindful of time. So I think one last question, and then let's hop in a rapid fire very quickly. I would just love to hear kind of from your end, upcoming initiatives, vision for Bitsky's evolution. Where is this all headed for you guys? What excites you? Uh, where do you see rest of 2023 and 2024 for Bitsky and what's to come? As much as you can say, obviously, I'm sure there are things that, you know. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, I would say, you know, continue to like think about our consumer wallet experience. We want to bring better experiences to our consumers in the best way possible. So everything from our drip feed, which is our discovery feed, continuing to iterate on that. I think content discovery is going to be a huge push forward. Um, And then I would also say, you know, we're about to launch actually a little bit of alpha, our portfolio view. So you'll be able to actually see a line graph trending of all of your assets, you'll be able to see what you have. Does it go up or down? I pushed really hard for a go up mode where you just hit a button and it's always up, but it got vetoed apparently. Those are that some of the things. That would have been freaking hilarious. I wish you. I wish I had gotten through. <laughs> it, it's, there's still time potentially. Maybe I'll take this recording and send it to them. 
All of those things are in service, though, of what we're doing on the enterprise side. So I'm really bullish on what Bitsky is doing in the wallet as a service space. You can find all of our documentation online. We just launched a new page for wallet as a service on our site. You can go check that out. Basically, it's a series of APIs that bring all of the things that you love about the Bitsky iOS wallet, brings those rails and technologies into your game, into your brand program, into your loyalty program, whatever that might be. So I think as we close out 2023 um, and as we go into 2024, those are some of the key areas where we're going to continue to focus as a company because we want to be that best wallet provider for both you as an individual, but also as an organization, for a brand, for a game, whatever it might be. So those are some of the the high-level points, at least. Knocked out of the park. I love it. All right, so let's wrap things up with uh, rapid-fire questions. We do this with every single podcast, so it's always fun to kind of hear different people's responses. Um, so let's get into it. So as the name applies, like we'll hit it quick, think off the top of your head, and let's go. So Web3 Project, not including your own, not anything Bitsky-related that you are most bullish on. Ooh, uh, okay. I'm going to say two things. One is Dead Drop. Like uh, Dead Drop is the the Web3 game that's kind of out there. I think it's just really cool and like what they've done. It's just a good project. I like Rich Cabrera, who's on the product marketing team over there. I just think it's a cool project. And then also I've gone deep on Avagachi recently, which is this um, Polygon-based game. Avagachi is cool. Like it's a very active community and I think people are not totally aware of just how active it is. So I think those are two that I think are really compelling and interesting. Um, so both games, actually, I think that's I love it. probably just in general. Yeah. Well, I think that's the, that's the narrative right now. I think is like web through gaming is it's been, people have been talking about it for like a year now, but I think only now is it really starting to kind of get to that point where I think in the next, in the next year, in this next 12 months, we're going to see some really interesting stuff. And I literally saw a thread about Avagachi today. I don't know if it was the same. Maybe we both saw the same thing. Or Yeah, I'll send it to you afterwards. But uh, I just saw it today. And I was like, dive, so I was starting to dive deep myself. I was like, hmm, I've seen this before. But I haven't. I didn't realize it was such a, like you said, um, a deep ecosystem. So we'll see. This next one's my favorite. Uh, it's Julian, my favorite. Which is um, biggest professional learning from... We've been saying 2022, but now it's May, end of May. So I guess this year, last year, however you're feeling. Yeah, I'm going to cheat and say one or two things. Okay, so probably the biggest one is just be perpetually curious and adaptable in what you're doing. I think you need to be a constant learner and someone that's just always learning new things to be successful in any career at the moment, not even just Web3. I think if you're someone that's trying to make it in the space, you should be experimenting and trying new things. You should be trying new platforms. You should be on Blue Sky if you can get an invite. You should check out Mastodon. You should check out other platforms. Marketers should keep experimenting and learning and be curious. And that's been a big learning for me. I could wax poetic about what open AI means for the marketing industry as a whole, like marketers as a whole. And it's because I've done the, the learning. I've like spent my evenings and weekends going deep on this just because I want to understand it. So I think, yeah, being curious, being open to learn new things. Yeah, that's it, actually. I'm going to say that's 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 the top thing. I think that's the biggest thing. And then, oh, and yeah, knowing when to say no, I think is you should be saying no to more things than you should be saying yes to uh, when it comes to being a marketing leader, being a head of partnerships. Like, you should probably be finding ways to, to focus always, and that's a, an important thing to do as a, as a whole. There's a lot of shiny objects out there. Yeah, agreed. Two more. Very quickly. So if you had a million dollars, someone airdrops you a million dollars into you into your wallet, your bank account, whatever it is, you can't work on Bitsky. Let's say for whatever reason you're not legally allowed to work there anymore. What would you go build on Web3 today? And there's no non-compete or anything, right? So you can do whatever you want. You have a million dollars. It could be more if you need, right? But the point is you got a lot of money. What would you go build? But not enough to just go retire tomorrow, right? You can't do that. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, this is where if I was a DGen, I would say something like, I'm going to build an exchange, then I'm going to do a token drop, and I'll provide the liquidity pool for... (laughs) Terrible. Um, No, I would say either invest in a game or build a game. I think there's a lot of really cool games out there, and I think I'd probably do one one or the other. So yeah, I think I would 
build a game would be the most interesting. And I would probably be reaching out to the smart people at like Ready Player Dow, Rich Cabrera I mentioned earlier. Like, I think these are the kinds of people I'd want to pull in and say, like, let's do something with this. And I think I would use Rails, like with what we're seeing with Third Web has a lot of really cool gaming Rails. Like, I would try to find ways to to quickly iterate and prototype uh, a game or two, uh, maybe even three. I don't know. It depends. I mean, some of the, the the ways to spin up games now are just pretty easy. So, I think that would be probably be the thing I would do. If you're if you're gonna limit me to not being able to take that, go live in a very affordable place for a while. Um, no arbitraging. Gonna, yeah. <laughs> maybe my answer. Yeah. Perfect. I love that. That's a really interesting one, actually. I think that's one of the more fun ones I've heard. Cool. And then the last one is just your craziest predictions in Web three for end of by end of this year. Uh, it could be anything: regulatory, uh, NFTs, gaming, brands, uh, anything related to Web three. What do you think is the craziest thing that might happen by end of this year? I think we're gonna have one or two new protocols that we'll completely focus and hone in on. They won't take away from what we do with ETH, but I think we're going to have like a couple of protocols that will become our new obsession by the end of the year. And I think wallets will have some new nomenclature. I don't know what it's going to be yet. I think the community will decide us decide for us what that is, but I don't know if wallets will be the thing that we call this at the end of the year. I think, I think the community will tell us that they, they want to call it something else. And then I think the final one is uh, non-fungible Olive Garden will obviously have its moment to rise from the ashes because right now the DMCA takedown request is still alive. So one day, one day, maybe Blake Dow can make that a focus. Um, we go reach out to Darden, we pitch him on Bitski, and and like we just put it all together. We say the revival of non. It's it'll be major. If I can't anyone wait. Anyone from Olive Garden or Darden is watching this, um, reach out to Blake or myself, and we will do yeah. pro bono work. I'm Blake. I'm offering you up to this. This will be a pro bono I'm project. Down. Blake and Blake, so- we're gonna revive non-fungible uh, Olive Garden. It's it'll be Blake Dow's first project. <laughs> I, would, I would love it. Nothing would make me happier. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm freaking into it. All right, cool. So that's that's it for today. Very last thing is just. Show yourself very quickly. Where can people find you online? Whatever you want, Twitter, website. Totally. Yeah. So you can find me on uh, Blake Menezes on every platform. So on LinkedIn, it's Blake Menezes. On Twitter, it's at Blake Menezes. On Blue Sky, it's at Blake Menezes. Like you can find me as that pretty much on every platform. Uh, Farcaster, I'm at Blake. Uh, and then Bitsky, same thing. You can find us on all the platforms under Bitsky. So at Bitsky, check us out. My DMs are open across all platforms. So if you want to talk marketing, wallets, or just bounce ideas off of somebody, always down to chat with interesting folks. And appreciate, Blake, you having me and my sin as a whole and all the work you're doing in the marketing space in Web3 and crypto. We're, we're building some cool stuff together, buddy. So excited to see where we're going to be in just a year from now. And uh, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks. All right. Have a good one. All right. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of W3G. If you'd like to learn more about Web3 marketing, please visit mysyn.xyz to get started. And of course, if you're a fan of the show, please be sure to show us your support by subscribing and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or whatever platform you're using to tune in. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.